Sci-Fi for Me Radio presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is H2O. Hello, folks. I am Timothy Harvey, and sitting next to me is Mr. Jason Hunt, uh-huh. who is the head honcho what runs things here at Sci-Fi for Me. <laughs> oh, if only. <laughs> and this is uh, this week's episode of H2O our weekly podcast about things in the genre. Yes. Uh, many things. Uh, tonight, we are going to be, we're recording this at night. Uh, do, if you want to build yourself a mind picture, if you're yes. if you're listening we, to this. We uh, are recording this on Thursday night, which is the opening night for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I am wearing my Darth Vader t-shirt. I have heard a little bit about this film. There seems to be some interest. I think I think it might it might do okay at the box office for a couple of days. Uh, there's a chance. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what the second weekend does. Yeah, that's always know. that's always the thing. Right? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of a cool thing, actually. The if you think about the history of Star Wars and the f- thought that we would ever be getting new Star Wars movies mm. uh, at this point, and new Star Wars movies that are having the kind of critical reception and the critic and the fan reaction. I mean, for I think um, you talk about critical reaction to Star Wars. I think it would be different if these movies had come out on a regular cycle right when the rest of them were doing. Oh, sure. No. Because at that point, you had way more pretentious, uppity, nose in the air, snooty critics. Who thought all of this was just for kids? Well, yeah, there was, and now a lot of the critics are our age. They they watched it. They grew up with it. They they saw it. We also have to bear in mind that, of course, everything is everything is in entertainment is a reflection of culture, and everything that is entertainment is a reflection of the time in that culture. So, mm-hmm. when you look at what else was coming out. Um, what movies were doing in the 60s and 70s. Uh, of course, Star Wars coming out in the late 70s. The, uh, we, the Westerns were done. Mm-hmm. Popular right. entertainment. The, the, the popular films. The, the, and and this, is, this is where things get a little weird because, of course, <clears throat> uh, you have... Plenty of films that were coming out that were certainly for popular audiences, but the the ones that the critics were reacting to, and because there was a lot of them actually happening, there were, the people were were experimenting with storytelling, and you were having these amazing films come out in the '60s and '70s and early '80s in drama, and of course these were in the and a lot of more crime drama, a lot of more crime drama, but they were also dealing with things in a way that hadn't been dealt with before. So along comes a, basically a popcorn movie, yeah, and. Um, when you hold that up against, you know, The Godfather, in in the way that film critics are kind of trained to be, mm-hmm. uh, especially then, um, you you know, it didn't it, it they weren't even in the same ballpark. Now, because the yeah, the critics are our age, the critics the the folks who lived from the lived through the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, or the eighties, nineties, two thousands. If they, they've had a, a much broader sense of what entertainment can be 
also because of the sheer amount of it. Oh, yeah, indefinitely. Yeah, you and I used to talk about, you know, yeah. standing in line, wrapping around buildings to watch a film that was in the theaters for six months. Yeah. Um, and now, of course, <laughs> if they're in the theater for a month, it's like, yeah. that's a long run. Well, so. nowadays, nowadays the movie is in the theater to advertise for the home video release. I mean, right. that's, that's pretty much all it is. Well, and the other thing, too, is um, uh, I was watching uh, For the Love of Spock mm -hmm. over the weekend, Adam Nimoy's documentary about his father. And there's a clip in there where Leonard Nimoy is reading the TV Guide review of Star Trek when it first mm -hmm. hit the air. Sure. You know, the one where it says, Star Trek won't work. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and here we are, um, well, 40 years later. No, 50, 50 years, 50 years later. I'm trying to de-age myself. We didn't watch it when it was brand new. Yeah, I know, 50, we were, 50 we years later. Born. And it's still around. And, you know, and, and even though it's not where some fans would want it to be, but uh, yeah, but we've got a new series coming out. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just announced the star. Um, and I'm really, really, really hoping. And given, given the current political climate, I'm really hoping that they did not cast a black woman in the lead just to cast a black woman in the lead. I don't think that's likely, based on what they've been talking about in terms of the show from the beginning. I hope not. And having it being a, having it be of a more female-led show. Well, yeah, I know, and... but the the fact that that Brian Fuller, when he was at San Diego Comic Con, made a point of saying it's going to be a non-white. It's going to be a non-white. I mean, that became the big thing, the big selling well, point. Well, I think like, that's... I really don't want that to be. I want it to be a good Star Trek story. I don't care. I don't care who who's in the cast. But, I want it to be good Star Trek. But you know that when people are, are thinking about these things and they're thinking about the kind of character they want to have, writers think about that stuff sometimes. They think about what they what they're trying to show with with the with the show. I mean, one of the things that Star Trek has always been about was that it showed that we could get along. That by the time we get to by the time we get to you know three hundred years in the future, it's one Earth, and it doesn't matter. You know, again, first interracial kiss. Uh huh. Um, you know, women in positions of authority. Uh huh. Women, uh, 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 non-white characters in positions of authority. Right. I mean, these. This was something that was important to the storytelling at the time, because it was something that wasn't except, happening in the except, storytelling at the time. Except, nobody called attention to it within the confines of the production. Oh I mean, yes, they no, did. No, not in the, not in this, not in the story. I mean, well, no, maybe no, no. behind the well, scenes well, yeah, or whatever. Sure. There might be some discussion but that's, that's about all, it. That's all that Fuller's Fuller was doing. Was that's well, behind I, the scenes? And that's scenes. what I'm saying. I hope so. Well, I no, hope I that's mean, what so. You have to be th the, when look when when uh, um, oh for heaven's sake, I can't remember the name of the actor. He built, um, he built the computerized starship. He, the, the, the computer brain. Dyson, was it the black actor? Uh, he was the scientist who developed the the for the automated. Oh, for the M five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Daystrom. Yeah, Daystrom. Richard what, Daystrom. What was, do you remember the name of the actor? I do not. No, um, I'd have to look that up. I'll look that up. While but you, you know talk. When, But you know when when they cast that character. You know that behind the scenes they were saying we want a strong black actor to play this part because you're put basically you know you're you're showing at again at at the time you know having a strong black actor in that role made a difference to the storytelling 
Um, so I mean, yeah, what? How? No. How? How did it? Because because the, because you weren't showing that many strong black actors in in genre programming at the time, right? But so his, having yeah, but his being black did not. I mean, there wasn't anything. But it's a, it's a black actor. Well, no, that's, well, that's just it. It doesn't have to be as long as just sometimes it's just it's just that actor being there. That you know, uh, an actor of color being in that in one of those roles in the '60s, you know, a, a role of authority, a role of power, a role of you know, intelligent, well-spoken. At the time, that sort of stuff mattered uh, in a way that now, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter the same way. And all, well, right. and all, of course, it always matters. You know, to the people producing the show, they're always thinking about who they want to cast and what they want to do with that person in that role. And so, I don't, you know, I, I don't. I can't see it that way yet. I mean, because it, really, it is going to come down to the writing. If it's a yeah. good show, I mean, she's a good actress. And that's what I'm saying. And it's, she's, it's, uh, uh, story, she plays Sasha on, on The Walking Dead, and I can't yeah. remember her name off the top of my head. Uh, it is um, Sonequa Martin-Green. Thank you. Um, unfortunately, I have caught the Dustin inability to remember <laughs> names. Uh, it's contagious. It rubs off on you. But she's, she, does, she does a fine job on The Walking Dead, and what that actually kind of makes me wonder is... What's going to happen to her? How much longer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and of course, like we've talked about before, The Walking Dead has the opposite problem: is you cast a strong black character in that show, and oh, what, what's yeah. what's the timetable on them dying? William Marshall played ah, Doctor Daystrom. Thank you. He also was Blackula, I believe. Mm. Yes, could be. So, sure. You know, um, well, that's his that's his photo on IMDb is is Blackula. Oh, cool. Yeah. So. Ah, black exploitation films. Yeah. Um, Something that uh, has not aged necessarily well, but still, has, again, has a pretty important place in, in cinema for what it was trying to do at the time. Do you see that they're doing a remake? They're going to do a, a reboot of Foxy Brown? You know, the old, the old Pam Greer movie? Okay. I'm, who? Like, how are you going to, how are you? Okay, okay, all right, all right. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying Here's you're going to have to find do. a good a good person to replace. Oh Pam sure. Oh, here's here's oh. what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. We need to do a reboot <laughs> of H2O. <laughs> because, you know, reboots are all the thing now, right? Because, you know, everybody's doing a reboot. Everybody yeah. does a reboot, everybody sure. does a remake. So that's what we can do. We sh that's that's what we should work on for next year is a reboot of all of our podcasts. Wait a minute. Are we going to recast with younger prettier actors? <laughs> CW, uh, C W, uh, you know, uh, C W, pretty. I uh, mm. hmm, actually, <laughs> uh, give somebody else something to do. We'll take a break. Oh, uh, maybe. Uh, no, so it's um, it's interesting. The the exciting thing about genre and and looping back around to talking about Rogue One for a second here, um, is that the. You say that like we had a plan. We, to... There's always a plan. It's not necessarily a good plan. There's always a plan. The fact that you know this is a genre thing that has had the legs that it has, and you look at things like you know Doctor Who celebrating 50 years, Star mm. Trek celebrating 50 years. It's not going to be that much longer before Star Wars is celebrating 50 years. And when you consider the well, not because this this coming year is 40. Yep. So you look oh. at what the what the fans have built mm. in terms of the the communities that they've built but also the fact that we those fans are in charge now you yeah. know you look at some of these people who are who are really 
dictating. In some cases, not so. We've talked about this before too. Not always getting it right, hmm. but nobody ever does. Um, you know, they're they're carrying on the integration of genre into the public consciousness in a way that we couldn't really imagine in the right. 1977, 78. Um, you know, nobody thought Star Wars was going to be a success. The studio, Including the guy who made it. The studio gave Lucas the merchandising rights for the toys because they yeah. didn't think it was going <laughs> to... Well, I mean, back then, who did merchandising? Exactly. Nobody did merchandise. But the idea... You know, you know there's some, but there was some guy in the studio. Bob, come here. <laughs> Is this your signature? <laughs> yeah. Bob. I'm afraid we're going to have to shoot you now. <laughs> and that would Bob was never seen again, you know. I mean, well, you know, and you have to you have to wonder what the what the conversations were with Alan Ladd Jr. after that when it blew up the way it did because really he was the only one of the studios who believed in it at all mm -hmm. as a project. And said, yeah, there could be something here, maybe, sort of, uh, let's take a chance. Well, you know, in the his, in the things we always talk about, you know, bear in mind that Star Trek was not necessarily expected to be a hit. Oh, uh, no. Star Wars was not supposed to be. Doctor Who was not expected. Doctor Who was meant to be a children's educational program. And it's still listed as a children's program, by the way. Yes. Well, British children's programming and American children's programming are completely different <laughs> animals and always have been. But, but I will so. I will submit mm -hmm. that the the actual name of the driver of the magic school bus is River Song. <laughs> because, you know, River Song drives the magic school bus. Um not saying it's impossible. But you know never I mean, seen them in the same place at the same time. Well, okay, there there's some evidence there. Um, you know the, the the genre stuff that that has really exploded. I mean, oh, actually, yeah, that's just with all pop culture, though. I mean, honestly, who thought a film about three guys on a boat going up against a shark was mm. going to be a big deal? Yeah. Who thought that you know some guy coming home on Halloween wearing a William Shatner mask was going to be a big deal? Um, you know, these are these are things that nobody planned for. Nobody sat there and went, these are going to become iconic. These are going to change. Who thought th four, three, four morons wandering the woods, losing a map and yelling at each other and crying into badly held cameras was going to change the face of horror films? Oh, yeah. Blair Witch is a terrible movie. <laughs> terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> but it changed things in a way that, yeah. I mean, well, there's always it has many sins to, to fall at its feet. Because yeah, there's that. always that that moment where you know lightning strikes and you get that that movie that has such a cultural impact that it does it does change things forever. Mm -hmm. Star Wars was one of those. Um, Star Trek probably has had a similar type of cultural impact, but it's more, it's simmered a lot more, oh, I yeah, think, no, yeah, than, I Star, than Star Wars did. Although George Lucas has said, without Star Trek, there would not be Star Wars. Oh, of course. So, yeah, it, it's, it's all of a piece. People. Well, and you could do, you know, when you, the difference between film and television is, in you know, it's light years apart for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, one of the critiques that you can legitimately lay at the, the feet of the new Star Trek films is that they are less about ideas and more about action. 
Except the problem is, is that that's what movies are. It's really hard, not impossible, because right. you can certainly see them and it happens. But when you've got a franchise, it ends up being much, much harder to try and uh, have big idea science fiction. It's a lot easier to do one-off big oh, idea sure. science fiction things. Sure. So, you know, it's... As someone who will defend the third of the new Star Trek films more than I'll defend the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even def- I'll defend about half of, of the second of the new Star Trek films. About only about half. Uh, you know, it's they've they've at least they've at least gotten closer. But you know, also remember that the first Star Wars film, Star Trek film, motion picture. Um, yeah. You know, honestly. If you haven't seen the director's cut, you may think it's a really long, boring movie. <laughs> as much as I loved it as a kid, it's, I loved it as a kid. But it's as, funny because um, uh, there's an interview with Nimoy in the doc in his in mm-hmm. his son's documentary where he's talking about um, that first movie, mm-hmm. and he said the script was awful. It was a terrible film, and I have never heard him say anything like that before i i'd never seen that interview mm. before i didn't know that he had thought that he'd felt that way about the first movie and his big thing was is that there was there was no character to it no sure i mean it was all it was all the ship the ship the ship mm-hmm. the special effects the special right. effects let's spend all this money on the special effects and you didn't have a story that did anything for the characters and yeah, see that. to a point yeah i think he's i think he's right although you know Making the jump from television to film, you're going to do the the big, epic, sweeping hey, well, let's the show idea, off sure. shots. So well, and that's and that's I think the the issue with the modern movies is that because they are sort of fitting into what everybody thinks of a modern, you know, science fiction movie <laughs> right. supposed to be. Um, you know, it's a balancing act, and it's hard to do. It wasn't until I think, you know, Wrath of Khan, where the budget was much much smaller. In many ways, if you have a smaller budget, you almost have to do more character work. Well, that plus, you know, they have uh, you know all these stock shots now. There are oh, sure. paid for. So most most of of the first what first third first half of the of the ship, the Enterprise shots mm-hmm. at least, those were all stock. Yeah. So, you know, save your money where you can. That's right. Well, and, and of course, Nicholas Meyer is a story guy. Yeah. So, which is why it's good that he's involved with the new show. Yes, it is. So, which also makes me think that, you know, he's never been one to really care all that much as far as I can tell about, about you know, doing anything other than telling a good story with good actors. Um, and so, that's a plus. It is. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what it is. Uh, I'm... Not too thrilled at the whole, you know, CBS All Access, you must pay to watch it. But Yeah, you know, that's, that's a little, we'll see how well that works. Um, you know, the, it's good to remember that some of these shows, some of these shows, and I'm not just talking about science fiction and genre, but a lot of things start off on one network and then moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember that, you know, Stargate 
was originally a Showtime show. Yep. And which meant that if you didn't have the, you know, deluxe package on your cable, which we certainly didn't uh, as kids, um, you weren't getting to watch that show. Yep. So. Well, the other thing, too, was uh, you don't, uh, you know, nowadays, you know, well, back in the day, you did not have the crossovers mm, like no. you have now. Yeah, I mean, you had them. You had them on the network because mm-hmm. I can remember Magnum PI crossing over to Murder She Wrote, <laughs> Which... Simon and Simon, but they were all on CBS. Right. Yeah. Whereas now, I mean, granted, it's still rare, but you know, the Flash and Supergirl crossover sure. last year. Um, now you did have, but see, that's that's. The same production company making the same shows, which is kind of what happened between Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman, right. because that was actually the first over the networks, you know, net- mm-hmm. split network crossover between Six Million Dollar Man on ABC and Bionic Woman on NBC, mm-hmm. because it hadn't happened before that. So we're I know we're bouncing around a lot tonight. Well, uh, but but also. At the time, for all the popularity of the Bionic Man and and the Bionic Woman as characters, uh-huh. it was a genre show, which meant oh. that the audience numbers were not the same as like Falcon yeah. Crest or whatever, uh, Dynasty or whatever it was. But the thing is, is that... You know, they're remaking Dynasty. I know. They're rebooting everything. <sighs> well, okay. But, you know, the thing about the thing about rebooting a show like Dynasty is that it's a soap opera for adults at night. Mm. And that's really the entire remit of the program. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you're not like, uh, as... When are they going to reboot Hotel? When are they going to reboot The Love Boat? Come on. Unfortunately, too many people know (laughs) just how filthy cruise ships actually can get. No offense to the folks in the cruise ship industry. We we hear so much about the negatives. There's so many people who go on cruises. I have friends who go on cruises every year and they have a wonderful time. Yeah. But there's always there's you know, every year there's some story about something that's gone awry on you know, it's a it's a big metal thing with a bunch of people stuck in it. You know, there's there's bound to be issues. Um get stuck I, on a sandbar. Yeah. <laughs> uh so I don't know. Um Yeah. Yeah. Well, but luckily, luckily we may have actually got past the point of remaking all the bad disaster movies. I don't know. Roland Emmerich may have may have uh, uh, helped drive a stake through that with twenty. Was it twenty twelve? Was that the one that he did with John Cusack? Yeah, twenty twelve. Uh, but yeah, where the we bad still, guys were right. We still where the, the quote unquote bad guys were right in that film. Well, we still could get something. <laughs> I know, but it's there's something about there's something about the real life disaster. You, you know, after, after something like uh, Katrina, mm-hmm. disaster movies are kind of like. Uh, you know, people have lived through something worse yeah. than that, and yeah. they're still mentally scarred by this sort of thing. Well, so although not. you make that point, and we've talked about this before, the fact that you know the dystopian future story, yeah. we still get those, yeah, despite the fact the that every time you have a, dy- a a thing like Katrina, everybody comes together and they and you know society does not fall apart, and we're still getting that. Well, sure, crap. but there's but the, but dystopian futures, even though most of them are science fiction, actually almost all of them are science fiction. Yeah. Um, they're still fantasies. They're the same kind of it's the same kind of mindset that produces a film about orcs because you are stepping outside actual human behavior. Yeah. And you are taking yourself to a place where 
the rules don't apply anymore. And there's always some, going to be something attractive to the stories where the rules don't apply. No matter what, no matter if, if the rules are good or the rules are bad, mm-hmm. it's that sense of it's not like now, right. where it whenever now is, right? So, and that, you know, you see that, you know, gosh, you see that in literature, going back as far back as we've had literature. So it's it's really become this, this unfortunately, I think, <laughs> ingrained part of, of the human psyche to kind of want to have these stories where it's all falling apart and this intrepid band brings it all, you know, blah, blah. no, I'm... And they go to Mexico. And they go to oh god no. <laughs> so the fact the fact that we're getting a third season of Fear the Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> hey, the, yeah, I will say I will say this for a show for a show that is written as poorly as Fear the Walking Dead is. Uh-huh. Um, it sure does not use the characters in Mexico well. <laughs> Do you think maybe they're writing it badly on purpose no. so people can hate watch it? No, I really don't. I'm I I really think that they. I really think that unfortunately they tried to do something that just completely didn't work. I mm-hmm. really think they tried to take the story of a family and you know basically a, a, a nuclear family, father right. father wife, son daughter and throw them into there into the world into this into all this happening, but they ran into two problems. One you can't. Ha- you don't want all your characters to be perfect little angels, right? Because they're boring, right? Right. You have to have some sort of you know every every character with every character with flaws is more interesting because we all have them. We can relate better to them. But if you take a character and you push their flaws so far mm-hmm. that they become unlikable, then you have got no sympathy for them. Right. And secondly, the least interesting part of a dystopian future is watching it become a dystopian future. Hmm. Nobody cares about the, the, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not, you don't, you don't want to watch the fall of civilization. You want to watch the lone stranger or the handful of strangers who come into town and help you rebuild civilization. Because in theory, although if you watch Facebook, people are convinced that we're seeing the end of civilization as we know it now anyway. So we could be watching the, the Well, the good news is, and I put that in air That's quotes. All on social media. Good news is that it happens every time you elect a different president. Uh-huh. So it's it, a just, it just it just pick pick what side you want to be on. Disaster. Everybody else it's the end of the world and, disaster. and, and the whatever whatevers are coming. Disaster. So um, we're not gonna get into politics. <laughs> we're just not. Um, oh, yeah, when we reboot the show as political commentary, <laughs> although to be perfectly honest, at some point, at some point, it would not be a bad idea mm. to take because there's some really great political science fiction, and by that, what the, by that I mean science fiction that I'm not talking about science fiction that takes a specific political view. Right. I'm talking about politics in uh, a political theory in science fiction. Sure. Sure. So, there is a, there is a distinct difference, right? Because um, author author screeds, author texts, author where the author is giving you their political viewpoint mm. through through fiction. It doesn't have to be bad. Sometimes it's very interesting. Sometimes it's well not so much. <laughs> and the other th- the other part of that too is that sometimes politics in the book in the story 
does not necessarily reflect the politics of the author. Right, right. That's very true. And I think that what's interesting, the most interesting ones to me, and this other people will have different reactions, I'm sure. Of course they will. Is that when you're exploring different ideas of the different kinds of human politics in genre fiction, where and, and in most of those cases, I don't care what the author believes, mm-hmm. you know, whatever their personal viewpoints are, because they and are exploring something wanna, interesting. Yes, we need to make that point, which it shouldn't matter, really, mm-hmm. if 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 they tell a good story. Right. It should not matter what their politics are. Well, I mean, if, if you're left reading, or right, if you're reading Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell, you're reading two authors who have very libertarian politics. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't make a difference to whether or not you enjoy Footfall or Moat in God's Eye. Right. Okay. Or Orson Scott Card with Ender's Game. Well, right. And and if you read Ender's Game, you're not going to get a sense of Orson Scott Card politics. Right. You are more likely to get a sense of the libertarian viewpoints of Niven and Pornell in their books because some of their books, they ha- it's in there. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily – but it, it's also not presented – although there, there have been a couple exceptions – um, it's also not presented as being anything other than the politics of the characters, right? Right, and then you look at something like Dune. We talked we talked about Dune several times because, of course, they're, they're, the rights of they're going to be a new Dune series yes. in some form. Um, and you know, Dune is inherently a political novel, mm-hmm. uh, a political novel, and a religious novel, and an economic mo- novel. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's he, he works with a lot of that, and he was. An ecologist. So his, you know, Herbert was an ecologist. So his views on, you know, how you handle your planet are baked into the story. But you don't necessarily realize that those are his particular views unless you step back and go, oh, I've read some of his nonfiction. And he's like, yeah. well, I'm talking about this now. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, so you can have some interesting stuff there. I talked to David Weber about it one time up at OzFest. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've mentioned this before. And, and we talk about. Talk, talk about the politics in the Honor Harrington books. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's like you said, the the politics that's in there, is, there's, a, there's a mix. There's a broad mix sure. of, of political thought because it all belongs to the characters. Right. This character believes this. This character believes that. This character believes the other thing. And you don't get a real sense of – where Weber falls in the political right. spectrum. I would say just from talking to him, from reading some other stuff, I would say he probably leans a little bit more libertarian than, mm-hmm. you know, libertarian conservative. But that's a complete guess on my part right. because you don't know from the content of his books. So, well, yeah, I think, I think I, yeah, we could we could do a politics and science fiction discussion at some point, maybe. Sure, because, I mean, you could definitely have... The, the, the last episode. <laughs> Our final episode, where we where we do that, and then well, and then no, because we, I think again we're talking about we're talking about the interest uh, the range of politics that gets talked about in in genre fiction. I've mentioned Mode in God's Eye, uh, and the Gripping Hand, the sequel. I listened to both of them on audio um, in the last month, mm-hmm. and the politics in there are it's Galactic Empire. It's there's a king, there's an emperor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very much a top-down uh, monarchy and with dukes and, you know, with, with, with right. royalty and, right. and, and the landed gentry, essentially. And the argument for it in-universe, they don't even go into a lot of detail about it, but the, but the implication is that 
this is how they saved the empire of man. This mm. is how they, because the first, right. the first explorers who went out into the universe um, had better technology. They had better computers. I mean, they, they, this is how they salvaged the colony worlds. This is how oh, they gotcha. salvaged by basically having a strong authority figure and absolute monarchy, right. right? So, but that's not that's not an endorsement of, you know, these guys aren't saying we need a monarchy. They're, this is this is the structure of their story. So sure. you can you can play in a political world yeah. and tell cool stories without necessarily. That was always my problem with, um, uh, oh for heaven's sakes, writer of Westworld, Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton. That was always my problem with his later novels, is that his politics massively informed his later novels right. and they became less enjoyable for me for that fact because it was like you've got a political theory with genre draped over it and I'm not you know, <laughs> I'm not enjoying this anymore I'm not I'm you know the it took away it took away the fact that it was it was not really an, it wasn't really about the audience it felt less less like fiction and more like a diatribe of yeah, some sort yeah and yeah. I think that's on, that when when the author gets to that point, and I'm not saying you can, if you're an author and you want to do that, knock yourself out. It's your book, right? Just tell a good story. Just tell a good story. Just tell a good story. Speaking of good stories, here's our story. <clears throat> We're looking at the end of 2016. Oh, yes. The beginning of 2017. TikTok. We are 16 days away. Oh, good From night. the end yeah. of 2015. And No, 2016. 2015 ended well we're 15 days away from the end of 2015 too just 15 days plus (laughs) um and and we have been like i said we talked about this a little bit last week we have been having a lot of internal discussions about where we go from here Mm -hmm. what our what our 2017 is going to look like and uh the episode that you've just heard from us is i guess kind of a sampler of the different kinds of topics that we talk about here on H2O, but also the different kinds of topics that we talk about on a lot of different things. We have several podcasts. We have a Marvel podcast, a DC podcast. We've got a podcast that's uh, pretty much strictly women participating in, mm-hmm. in the show. We've got a group a group discussion podcast. We have uh, some, sh- some, some video programs planned. Uh, to go up on our YouTube channel in 2017. We've got a lot of different things that we've talked about doing, a little bit more structure, a little bit more you know, revamping, but a focus uh, on more interviews, uh, maybe try to get to some more conventions yeah. and, and do some things there. So here's what we would like uh, for you as a listener to do, if you would. Uh, H2O at sci-fi for me.com. You can send us an email uh, and let us know what kind of what kind of things, what kind of content should we be giving you? Um, we're, we're trying to, to get this focus, you know, the, the whole sci-fi for me name. You know, that's you guys. You know, the me is you. And so we, we want to know and you can leave a comment on our social media or you can send us an email. Let us know what kind of content do we need to be creating because, you know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we could put on our website that you get anywhere else. Right. You get it at io9, Newsarama, you know, wherever, mm-hmm. you know, AV Club, Screen Rant, whatever. We want to be unique. We want to have, have something that is 
geared specifically toward our audience. So you guys, you guys drive it, but also something that you think is worthy of sharing with other people, uh, because you know, right now, given the limitations of our fundage, you know, word of mouth is pretty much the only way that we have to get in front of new people. <clears throat> so a couple of things: we we want your feedback on our content. Uh, we would also uh, really appreciate uh, if you were our ambassadors of sort. If you if you like what we do, uh, tell other people about it. We would we would really appreciate that. And if you want to give us money, you can do that too. the The website is patreon.com slash sci fi for me. We don't we don't tout it a lot. We don't you know I don't sound like PBS all the time. Give us money. Give us give us money. But um, this is an all-volunteer organization, and we do all of this pretty much on our own time with, you know, the equipment that we already have on hand and limited resources. And, you know, occasionally we'll get a, a, a fan uh, who does something really fantastic, like makes, makes this sign back here. Thank you, Ray. Um, Ray is our – Ray is our – Ray, Ray's a good guy. Ray's a fantastic Ray's a guy. guy. We are and, we are huge fans of Ray. And the link now, if you go to our website, uh, the link to Patreon <laughs> is now fixed because, because Ray. Ray noticed, hey, this link's uh, broken. Uh, it helps to spell Patreon correctly. Oh, is that what, is that what it ultimately was? What Oops. Yeah. Oh, there's not so, any in there. So for the folks who don't necessarily know what Patreon is, um, and Jason mentioned the uh, PBS Pledge Drive. We, I, we, we will probably never give you guys an entire week of asking you for money, no. like like PBS or M actually PBS yeah. will do like a week weekend. Uh, yeah, NPR will do a, a, a week, but or, even the or even, Wikipedia where it, every, it shows up every single time you go. Yeah, uh, but the idea behind Patreon is you basically like PBS, like NPR, um, like your credit card company. Um, you can sign up to make regular payments, uh, or in my case, uh, car payments. Uh, since I got the new car, yes. but um, the idea is is that if you want to support an artist or a creator, and we um, we think that we are hopefully creating something that's worth reading and yeah, watching, I would hope so, listening to. Uh, and so far, you know, we certainly have our our the folks who do this with us. We think their stuff is worth reading and watching. Yeah, um, uh, we're very, very happy about the people who come play with us on this all the time. Um, we have a good time; they have a good time. We're very, very happy to have them with us. But we are doing this basically as volunteers, yeah. and as much as we would love to be doing this as a living, with large sums of money and insurance plans <laughs> and all the things you can get with a business. Still waiting for Rich Uncle Otto. Exactly. But the way that Patreon works is that you can sign up to give your the, the creators that you want to support um, money every month, right? And it basically, it's like a recurring payment thing. So yeah. you can give them a dollar every month, or you can give them $5 every month, or and you set it up, and then it happens every month. It's like a subscription to Kickstarter. Yeah. I guess well, would be and, a good, and it's a good a, it's like a subscription to anything. Um, the difference is is that you're not the content we provide is free. We are not charging you for the what we do, right? Right. But what we can do with that money is not pay Jason's salary. 
Oh man! Or my salary. Uh, I'm, I, he's out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're not asking you to pay us anything. No, we're uh, what we're saying is that if you want to, if it if it feels like something that you want to do, um, it gives us the ability to do things like when we did when we did WorldCon here in Kansas City, mm-hmm. we broadcast live from WorldCon. Yes, and at WorldCon, we had people from other conventions come up to us and go, "You want to come do that at our convention?" <laughs> we and we were like, to. "We'd love to." We can't afford to go. Yeah, it costs money. And the thing is, is that maybe you want us to go to Dragon Con or San Diego or yeah. New York or whatever, or you want us to come to your town and do a you know live do do your convention live. Yeah, you know, so that stuff does cost us money, and that costs because we all we have day gigs mm-hmm. and we have night gigs and we have things that basically. You know, we don't, we can't just set them aside and run off, and we can't afford to drive all these places because we've got day gigs and things like that. So, right. what this innate, what anything that would come to us, any the dollar a month or five dollars or ten dollars or whatever it is you thought was worth giving to us would go into making what we do better yes. and giving us more flexibility and more ability to go this place or that place to do produce more content to produce better content to replace equipment to buy new equipment all the things that we can do to make what we're already providing uh, through sci-fi for me and horror for me and all the different podcasts the stuff that we enjoy doing talk about talking about and and writing about Mm -hmm. that we sincerely hope that you are enjoying as well we just want to be able to do more of it yep. and, and make it bigger. So if that's something that you feel like is worth a dollar or $5, um, $10, Rich Uncle Otto, if you would like <laughs> to give us $1 million. No, um, yeah. so, mm. <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's that is going pitch. to be entirely tainted yeah. for the rest of time. It is that $1 million, million dollars is yes. always going to be Dr. Yes. Evil. There's yes. just... It's, so so that's the pitch. I mean if you want to help that's the, the link is is patreon.com. We will put that in uh, in on our show notes and uh, if you want to take a look and, and see if that's something that you can do. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's completely voluntary. It's oh, yeah. no obligation whatsoever. We will continue to produce no matter what. And um, and you know, again, if you've got suggestions for content, uh, if you want to leave those either in a comment or uh, send us an email h2o at sci-fi4me.com. Please, please do. And let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you want us to do. How you know? If you, you, we're gonna we're gonna try to do shorter episodes. See if we can do something that's a little bit more easier to digest, and see what happens from there. So that's gonna do it for us this time. We're gonna cut this short, and and you know we've made our pitch. We're, yep. we're now gonna go just kind of refill coffee mugs and, and relax for a little bit. Uh, off next week. Yes. We're gonna take the week off because uh, holidays, Christmas, There's and Christmas whatever. There's a Christmas thing, yeah. And we will be back uh, very soon with another episode of H2O here on Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Hey, before we go though, yes, um, we should probably wish our listeners. Happy and viewers, holiday. happy holidays. Happy, happy holidays. Merry happy Christmas. Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Uh, what was it? <laughs> I know. I, oh, gosh. It's... Chris, is Chris Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa or something like that? Yeah, something like that. But happy holidays to all of you. Uh, yes. whatever, whatever holiday you're celebrating uh, in this time of year. Yes. Uh, since they all, a good chunk of them tend to fall in, in the December-ish, January area. We appreciate and you and hope that you and your families have a wonderful This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved.
No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio.